This is episode 121 of How to Human. And in this episode, I'm going to be cursing, unlike usual. This is not a trigger warning, but just a note that I usually don't curse because I like to reach as wide an audience as possible, which at current includes eight people. So that's real. So today I want to discuss the cartoon that is floating around with the Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg, supposedly coming from an oil company, somehow their name got on it. If you haven't seen it, roughly it's this. It is an existing tattoo design, actually, of a woman who's bent over. A man is having sex with her doggy style behind her and holding her pigtails. You don't see the man, you see his hands, but the context is obvious. And there is Greta as a tramp stamp on her lower back. So it's clearly meant to be Greta Thunberg. And what I want to talk about is what the world thinks about this. So there's a lot of outrage and there probably should be. There's from certain people, there certainly should be. And because it's, it means a lot of different things. And we reach this place where people have a concern about this image and what it means. And then there's another side that probably isn't as mad, whether it be their political ideology or their idea that it falls, even if unclassy, somewhere in free speech. And so, and it definitely also falls along male-female lines, liberal and conservative lines. And like I just talked about, this idea of being classy in the course of criticizing your, the other side versus no holds barred. And I want to talk about those three different ideas today in terms of the gray areas of them, the men-women conflict, the liberal-conservative conflict, and the classiness versus free speech argument. That's what we're going to talk about today on How to Human. I'm going to start talking about male and female reactions to this or at least how I think they'll be coming out. I think the opinions will fall more along liberal conservative lines, but there is a correlation along men and women because women will take this very personally, or women do take this very personally. As I spoke to a friend of mine about this, she was very upset by it. And as I saw some tweets about this, there were, it was difficult. People called it, rape and it was or rather it was the depiction of a violent rape in some of the tweets i saw and the unfortunate part is that's an exaggeration if we want to say statutory rape okay because she's 17 but it is i don't think it does anybody any good to use rape in terms in situations where it's not actually rape because it trivializes rape and I mean, that, that's hard. I mean, it, it's the way that people get heard. Creating outrage allows you to be heard. And so sensationalizing is a tool that everybody uses for clicks. And in this case, using rape, I think, is just tough. It's, but it's, as I saw it, a tool that people are going to be, going to be using when describing this particular cartoon. And 
my judgment. And I'm just, I'm trying to be logical and have perspective here. There were no signs of rape. It is, as it was designed, it was a, an original tattoo design, a consensual donkey style sex cartoon. How are men and women going to see this differently? Women are going to see this as a trivialization of their ability to have their mind, to an ability to be heard. Because what this is, is somebody who is speaking and then is turned into an object. And it's a reminder of all the various times that men said or thought that women can't have an opinion because they are women. And the idea behind that a little bit deeper is that women don't have minds because they are lesser beings that are made for making babies. I don't, like that's the deepest level of it. That's the way that women are thought of on a level that nobody really verbalizes. Okay, let me be clear, nobody verbalizes this, but why would women have any less ability to have an opinion than men? And, right, maybe you could say, well, that's not really what they're doing. They're just using ad hominem attacks like everybody does. Kind of, that's true. Like every time we call somebody a Nazi and they're actually not a Nazi, you're not attacking their ideas, you're attacking them as a person. And maybe this is just another ad hominem attack. You're not attacking her opinions or her ideas, but attacking her as an object. And there's some truth to that. I think that's part of it. But there's something about the history here. There's something about the demeaning of a human being to a sex object that is old and tried and true in terms of the misogyny aspect of it and something that hits women very personally, right? So if I'm talking about the men-women difference in reaction, women are going to be, in my experience, I mean, what I've read, what I've seen, and what I can imagine will be significantly more put off by the idea that we're taking this woman and taking her age out of it and turning her into a sex object. And the way we look at people and their ability to have opinions, we look at certain people and give them more deference to have an opinion, to, have, to be worthy of listening to. And making somebody into a sex object lessens their ability to be heard it reduces their credibility. And right or wrong, it just happens. And women are sick of it. And I, I think that's fair. And now let's go to the male perspective. This is interesting. This is similar to podcast 119 when I talked about Chris Matthews telling a woman she was beautiful before an interview and his lack of empathy for how his words will hurt. And that is probably where men are going to fall on this. They're going to 
a lot of men. So liberal and conservative will see this differently, but men are not going to see this generally, right? So if we look at a distribution curve, there are certainly men who are going to see this as offensive. Certainly, absolutely no question. But I judge they're going to see it less offensively than our women because they are less, they've seen it less. They've had, they are not subject to the same kind of marginalization over time that women are, and therefore aren't going to be as immediately emotionally reactive to it. They're going to think of it probably a little bit funny, probably a little bit silly, and unfortunately it titillates a little bit and in that way it makes it seem less like the political hatchet job that it is the undermining of a person's ability as a human being to have an opinion and then the undermining of their opinions as it comes from somebody who is less like less able to have an opinion and it's more of what you see is what you get. It would be not connected to thousands of years of misogyny. And that's where men are gonna see it from, generally, generally. Dave Messman, you're painting with a giant brush, I am. What I'm trying to explain is that if women see it at level eight out of 10 in terms of awful, and maybe, look, maybe it's 10, I mean, there are women who are going to be not bothered by it. And they may be conservative women who dislike Greta Thunberg. If we were to rate every woman everywhere what they think of it. Now let's rate every man everywhere and what they think of it. It's going to be a lower number. They're going to be less upset. And that'll be partly because men are more conservative, but partly because men aren't going to connect to misogyny the same way. Or rather, be as bothered by it. And it is partly the nature of being less sympathetic is partly the nature of the only word I've got for it. And I rarely talk about it this way is male privilege is the way that men are less subject to ad hominem attacks for their gender, that it isn't going to bother them as much. And I didn't define ad hominem attacks. I think I did. It's when you're attacked as a person and not for your ideas. Uh, you say something stupid and we don't attack your stupid comment, we attack you as an idiot. That's an ad hominem attack. And so we don't attack Greta Thunberg as the climate activist, we attack her as a, a woman sex object or a pawn of a liberal system or whatever it may be. And so back to the men-women concept. Why are men and women could see that differently? It is a combination of empathy and ability to connect to past marginalization and to see it and feel it and be worried by it. And think of how people like you are marginalized by it. I mean, that's really the problem is that people stick together because it's hard for individuals to make change. And that's why feminism came about, among many other reasons, is that 
women came together to fight for their rights. And as individuals, it's easy for them to be pushed aside. But as a group fighting together, they could stand up for what they believed in and have change made. And part of how that's done is seeing garbage and calling it out and forcing society to change via peer pressure, via standing as a group and making that peer pressure because a single person can't apply peer pressure, it takes a group. And that's why men and women would see it differently. It's probably so apparent why liberals and conservatives would see this differently that I probably shouldn't even talk about it, but I'll do a very brief piece on it. So in the world that is tribal, that we do live in, it is common to stick with your tribe. And for the liberals, it is, it is hard to see someone on their own team be treated poorly. And they not only rush to the defense, but they also rush to the idea of it being wrong because it's on their team. So I walk around Washington, D.C., super liberal Washington, D.C., and I see stickers that say Trump grabs Ivanka's pussy, and I see graffiti all over that says fuck Trump. And people don't seem to care because generally it's people on their team. And it's going to be a fact that people are going to set aside things that are wrong if it agrees with them. And in this case, while well, I'm talking about liberals in this particular instance, when they see something that is wrong, that necessarily hurts their side, they're going to jump to that defense and they're going to maximize exposure of it. And I talked earlier about sensationalizing it, about calling it rape and saying that it is, they're going to discuss in depth and very often about its inappropriateness. And this isn't to say that they're wrong. I'm just saying that they're going to do it because it's on their side and people just stick with their side. And for that same reason, conservatives are going to minimize this. There may be some hand-wringing. There are going to be, I don't know if there are any conservative feminists. I think, so Dave Messman, you're painting with a broad brush. Of course there are conservative feminists. Of course there are. But in our modern society and how we do it, um, feminism has aligned itself with liberalism. And for that reason, there aren't a lot of conservative feminists. And so that instinctual reaction to defend women at every turn, sort of that hashtag believe women is, has this implication. I've heard Bill Maher say this, not believe women because that implies women are always right, but take women seriously. That's probably the, the right or rather the more nuanced opinion on that, that of course women should be taken seriously and considered and listened to. But 
they're human. And humans can make mistakes, can be subject to jokes, can be wrong, and can be, you know, it's this difficult part of our public discourse. The Supreme Court in the United States has ruled that public figures have a different bar for being libeled and slandered. And it's just the case that people in the public eye, and I'm going to be one of them, and that's why I expect to be pilloried for this, that people are going to have mean things said about them. And that happens on both sides. There are mean things said about Trump every day. And in no way am I defending him or the comments or thing that's said negative about liberals either. It was in the same way that conservatives are going to defend this, this level of misogyny. And I mean, on a level they are, they're going to minimize that the idea that it's oh so wrong and that it is an attack on all women. It might be an attack on Greta, but it's people are taking it too seriously. And there might be an element of that. Let's be real about this. I'm going to talk about this when I talk about class and societal expectations. But in conservative circles, I remember reading, not reading, but seeing during the election, people were selling shirts outside of Trump rallies that would say, Trump that bitch, referring to Hillary Clinton. And people see difficult or mean or ad hominem attacks or any kind of tribal warfare through the lens of their tribe and make excuses for their own and vilify those who aren't them. And that's just the nature of tribalism. So in that way, there are going to be people who are crying out because this is hurtful and terrible and representative of you know, 10,000 years of misogyny, and those who say, sure, it's not classy, but, you know, get off your high horse. It, it isn't that big a deal. And I'm not agreeing with either one. I, I do land on a side. I do land on a side that everything can't be level 10. It, if everything is full outrage, if everything is level 20, then we actually lose perspective for what's level 20. And I'm not even going to agree with what I'm about to say, okay? Dave Messman, then why are you saying it? You, you don't even think this. Well, here's what I've said in the past. If you call every conservative candidate a Nazi, when an actual Nazi comes along, the insult has lost its... Um, meaning. It's the boy who cried wolf. And so when we use such full-throated language to describe things, we, because, because we're so triggered by things, what we lose is a nuance, but b the ability to actually be 
truly upset and listened to? And should this cartoon or the situation be level 10? I mean, I, as, in this case, I don't want to make a call. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it because I have to do that. I think it's a cop out to not make a call. Uh, yes, I think it's overreacting. And where do I fall on this tribal scale? I'd like to think I'm outside of it. I'd like to think each tribe acts emotionally. Each side is so wrapped up in their own opinion set, their own want to win, that they are blind to any kind of objectivity, any kind of nuance in anything. And they're so interested in their side winning, so interested in their their own perspective that they lack any kind of ability to make a reasoned, have a reasoned response. Now let's talk about class and whether or not a classy norm in society should dictate whether or not this cartoon should exist or whether or not there's room for individual emotional expression for such things, even if they lack class. It's hard for me to imagine anybody thinks this cartoon is classy. And I'm going to reference back episode 113, where I discussed how an increased emotionality in society makes people more tribal on the political fringes. And I said that because it's logical to compromise because things get done. But if you are really convicted, if you attach morality to your opinions, you become emotional about your opinions and you won't compromise and not being able to compromise makes you necessarily more polarized. It puts you on the fringes by definition. And when people are on the fringes and people are emotional, they make emotional decisions, obviously. And what does that mean? They are driven to think with their hearts and not their heads. Dave Messman, you just said the same thing again. I did. It is when one is emotional, there is, it's a temporary state and it has wild swings. So for those of you who know what a sine curve looks like, it is, if you imagine a straight line, a horizontal line, it's a curve. It goes up above the line and then down beneath the line and then up above the line and down beneath the line for infinity. And emotion is like that. It has its highs and it has its lows. And when we are at the peaks, there's a lot of emotionality and there's a tendency to get really wrapped up in what you feel in that situation. And because logic and emotion are opposites, when you're very emotional, you're less logical and you're more wrapped up into whatever you feel and you're less likely to take logic into consideration 
other perspectives into consideration. Because like I talked about, when you're super convicted and you're super emotional, you are very polarized and away from, you're necessarily on the end of a spectrum, you're on the fringe. And you, t when you're further from the middle, you're not gonna take the middle into account, much less the other side. And that means you're just gonna be more likely to make decisions that are more, that are less mainstream. The middle is the mainstream. And that's going to make you less classy. So when I talk about class, I really mean things around the mean, things that we can all agree on. The mean is necessarily the things that we can all agree on if we look at a distribution curve, because that's where most people have their opinions. And so if we're coming to a compromise, what most people can agree on is a great place to compromise. And that is a lot, like I talked about in episode 113, it is logical to compromise. It's how we can get along. And if you're emotional, you're not going to compromise. You're more on the fringes and you're going to make more emotional decisions. And those emotional decisions are going to be fringy, just on the fringes. You're going to do things that the, the mean, the people with more class, the thing that society can agree on, you're gonna be further away from those things. And that's the left and the right, both sides. In this case, we're looking at a right cartoon, a conservative cartoon that hates on somebody who is a very left-leaning person who is on the leftward fringe. And look, I mean, that's, that's hard, right? How's environmentalism on the fringe? That's hard to explain also, right? It, it's how our society has moved. I don't know how caring about the planet and that has become a fringe topic. I mean, episode 111 talks about this a bit, why capitalism can't save the environment. But when we put this, when, so in the concept of that idea, that capitalism can't save the planet, that necessarily means that socialism can. And socialism is a left-leaning idea. And the people who want to fight it, if socialism is necessarily the left, that means capitalism is necessarily the right in this paradigm where we have to have tribes that fight each other. And so those capitalists, like, believe me, this is way more nuanced than this, and I'm not covering all the nuance. Dave Messman, you're making a podcast about nuance. Why won't you cover the nuance? It is beyond the scope of this podcast, this particular piece of nuance. But what I'm saying here is that the fringes of the right are attacking the fringes of the left in this case. And what we're talking about is a lack of class. The same people who write fuck Trump on they graffiti it on walls and such, that those are super convicted people who are acting emotionally. That isn't going to make any change. That doesn't make anybody, it makes you emotionally feel better for the moment, but it doesn't affect any kind of 
policy or making kind of political movement towards whatever you want. And class, the things that society can agree on, those things are in the middle. And we used to be classier. Do you want to know why we used to be classier? When we didn't, we had a set of unspoken social contracts about what we would or wouldn't do in public or, you know, draw or how we would treat people. You know why we were classier? We were more logical. That's right. We had more people around the mean of the distribution curve. And as we became more emotional, people moved to the fringes and people got angrier and sadder. Okay? Sad too. And sad sadness will lead to anger. First you're sad. And then you need something to do about it. You're angry that you're sad. You're angry that things aren't changing on the level that you want. You're going to become emotional. You're going to become convicted in your emotions. And then you're going to lash out. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about lashing out verbally or artistically in this case or whatever it may be. So it's an emergent of a more emotional society that will have people on the fringes, people who are more tribal, people who are less classy, and the world that we live in. And it's just where we are. I don't, I don't know. Obviously, I have a solution for it. Obviously, I think we should go back. Well, I'm, I don't think it's obvious that we should go back to a more logical society. I think it is a way that we can get along better because what we're talking about, the point of this cartoon is that it is ugly and it is representative of people not getting along, people who can take societal norms, look them in the face and say, I don't care. Because being kind to children and not objectifying people, I don't know if that's a societal norm, but it should be. And treating people how we think we can because it feels good. That's what ad hominem attacks kind of are. They're a way to demean somebody's relevance so that we don't have to listen to their opinions. But it's also part of the, not that ad hominem attacks haven't existed forever, because of course they have. But what I'm saying is that they're increasing in number, no question. And it's the emotionality to cancel people, to make people irrelevant, and we're doing it, and it's not classy. It's not classy to treat people poorly. When the logic would be to attack people's opinions, and that would actually affect policy and affect change, the treating people poorly is an emotional reaction, in my judgment. And it's the road we're on. So that's the end of this podcast. If you have comments or death threats, please send those to howtohumancdt at gmail.com. And if you didn't hate this podcast, give it five stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever you want to call it. And if you did hate this podcast, give it five stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever you want to call it.
because I actually don't mind if you hate it. I want you to think. I want you to hear the things that I'm saying and say and think to yourself, I don't agree. One, he covered both sides. I'd like people to think I cover both sides. Two, when he covered the side I didn't like, uh, it made me upset. And so what? You can't live in a bubble. I mean, you can. Everybody does. But people live in these idea silos. And that's emotional. When I talk about the distribution curve and logic being in the middle, and when I talked in episode 113 about the distribution curve getting shorter, meaning the mean, there are fewer people in the mean and the extremes are taller. I'm saying people are getting more emotional and there are more people in the fringes. And why does that happen? Because people don't listen to each other anymore. Because people are reacting emotionally and not logically and they're not listening and thinking about things and understanding the nuance of the system. Because... There isn't one answer for everything. I mean, kind of there is, right? I mean, do we need environmental reform on a grand scale that we've, we're not even ready for yet? Of course we do. Of course we do. And we have to work with the existing system. Because if we, and I'm, I'm only using this as an example of the reason we can't sit on one edge. Because if we ignore the existing system and people suffer, people are going to vote out the governments that are putting in the system that makes them suffer. So we have to make make a system that doesn't, that minimizes suffering of people in real time. Because Policies are only as good as their implementation. If a a policy can't get implemented, it's worthless. So there has to be a practicality to things. That's probably the point of all of this, is practicality. We can't be super logical without emotion because it's too ruthless. People will suffer. And when people will suffer, they will vote out the governments that are too ruthless. And if people are too emotional and egalitarian and create a system that destroys, right now I'm going to get really, this will sound judgmental. No, here's the thing. No, let me say it this way. If people vote for an ideological system that can't be implemented because it's too empathy-driven, superficially empathy-driven, and yes, I'm making comments about the American political system, then those policies can't be implemented and it's worthless. Practicality matters. And we need to balance logic and emotion to get true practicality. And we are not doing that. As we move to the fringes, we are moving away from the logic of practicality. And practicality is compromise. It has to be. We have different opinions. We don't get along. We got to work together. This is how it works. 
and people forget that. And how am I relating all this to this cartoon? I'm relating to, I mean, in a way, I mean, obviously, I turn this into a logic versus emotion podcast. And I think that's right. I mean, I don't think I'm wrong. Oh, I don't think I finished my sine curve analogy. The high peaks and valleys in a sine curve, that's emotion. Logic, the peaks and valleys are much closer to the horizontal line. I mean, there actually is, there is no emotion in true logic, but when the two are measured with each other, the peaks and valleys are smaller because you have to add practicality to your opinions and work with people around the mean. But back to this particular issue of the cartoon. Yeah, we're all going to see it differently. And we also have this free speech aspect. And it's difficult. It's a difficult one. Dave Messman, where are you going to land on this? I land on we live in a world where politicians get slandered. Dave Messman, she's a child and she's a public figure. We have to, we, we do this. We can't keep, we can't let people who want to be on the public stage be free from criticism. And yeah, sometimes that includes ad hominem attacks. But Dave Messman, she's a child. I heard you. I heard you. And it's the price we pay. It's the price we pay for being in the public square. It sucks. When you get in the arena, you're going to get bloodied. As somebody who's getting in the arena, he's going to get a whole ton of blowback and he hates it. And he's nothing. there's nothing he can do about it because that's the price. And that's the end of this episode of How to Human.